when I was in the Fort Campbell concession, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, in the 101st Airborne Division, we all of the leaders in our infantry platoon were sent to a school put on by the Army Ranger course called the Infantry Leaders Course. And part of the course was a, a, a land navigation course. And land navigation is where you're given a map, a compass, and a series of grid coordinates. Uh, and you navigate the terrain to each coordinate. And at each coordinate, what you do is you find a... Typically, you find a, a clip or something with a number on it. And you write down the number of those grid coordinates. Then you go on to the next one on your list. And then you report back to the place where you began... And they'll, they'll grade you, determine if you went to the right place. Uh, our, this particular course was around 25 miles from start to finish, and it took 18 hours for us to finish. Uh, as our group was navigating through the woods in the middle of the night, I stepped into a swampy, marshy area in Fort Benning and sank up to my waist or just past it. I struggled to get out as hard as I could. I, I had somebody hold my rifle. I tried to climb my way out, but... All of my efforts were in vain. There was just no way I could get out on my own. I was stuck, and there was nothing I could do to set myself free. Thankfully, we were doing this course as a part of a team. Otherwise, things would have been really bad for me that night. Uh, but two guys grabbed my arms and pulled me out of the muck and out of the mire. But it took those two guys to help me get out. Now, something similar happens when people get caught in the snare of the devil. Many times, people get stuck, and they can't get out. You know, we've talked in the last several weeks, and one of the things that we have talked about is how we can help ourselves escape, and that is great, and we should always try, but there are going to be those who, when they get stuck and they get, get caught in the snare of the devil, they're not going to be able to get out on their own. They can struggle, and they can cry, they can scream, and they can fight, but they just can't get themselves out. And in those times, what they need is someone that will come along that will reach down to them and help them escape Satan's snare. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are meant to be those people. I mean, that is, that is a part of, of what we are supposed to do as we go through life, is try to help people escape the snare of the devil. We're going to see how we can do this tonight. Open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 is where we're going to start. It's page 915. I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word when you find that. Paul writing says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The title of the message tonight is Helping Others Escape the Snare of the Devil. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we want so much to do your will in all areas of our life. Lord, and we know that part of what you want us to do is to help others escape the snare of the devil. Lord, as we look at the world around us, it is clear that many people, Lord, are caught in this snare. They have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. And what they need, Lord, is someone 
that would come along, reach down to the muck and the mire, and do what they could to pull them out. God, guide us that we would be those people. Tonight, as we look at what you have inspired the Apostle Paul to write, let us take it to heart. Let us see what we need to do. Lay people on our hearts. Give us the courage to go to them and to do the things that we need to do to help them escape. God, as we do these Put forth this effort to do this. Make it fruitful. Lord, we know that apart from your strength and your power, we can't help anyone escape the snare of the devil. We need you, Lord, to to really do the heavy lifting, to do the big work. So as we do what we can, God, you do what only you can. Fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Uh, To be able to say what you once said, nothing more, nothing less. Guide me, Lord, that your will would be what I speak. Uh, Lord, not mine, not anything else. Have your way in all hearts and all minds tonight, we ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, since it's been several weeks since we have mentioned that we have done this, let me just kind of recap what we have talked about. Right in the previous weeks, what we talked about was we said we wanted to answer four questions. Right? The first question was, what is the snare of the devil? Now, the snare of the devil is when someone has been taken captive by the devil to do his will. That's what Paul says in this particular passage. Now, what it means to be taken captive by the devil to do his will, it will be seen in a variety of ways. But the one thing they'll all have in common is that it's leading them to do Satan's will instead of God's will. And we'll talk about that a bit more later. Um, The second question we wanted to answer was, well, how do we end up in Satan's snare? Well, Satan, the Bible says, is is wily and he has strategies. And he uses those to convince us to choose something other than God's way as our way. And any time we believe that, any time we choose something other than God's way as our way, we end up in in Satan's snare. Any time we believe something contrary to what God has said, we have fallen prey to the wiles of the devil and we have been taken captive by him. Any time we do something, That is contrary to what God has revealed in His Word. We have fallen prey to the wiles of the devil and we have been taken captive by Him to do His will. Now we avoid that on a personal level by surrendering every part of our lives to the Lordship of Christ. Paul says in Romans that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Now Paul puts that as an either or. If we surrender all parts of our life to the Lordship of Christ, we will not make any provision for the flesh. But any area of my life I'm not willing to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, that is an area that in some way, at some time, I will make provision for the flesh. And that's a place that Satan will snare me and take me captive to do his will. The third question we wanted to answer is how do I escape? The snares of the devil. The snare of the devil when I've been taken captive. And there were four things that we mentioned. Except responsibility. Right? As disciples of Jesus Christ, we never have to be taken captive by the snare of the devil. We can always see through his tricks and his deceptions. We can always resist his temptations. We can always surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And when we are taken captive... It is really always our fault if we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so if we want to escape the snare of the devil, we have to accept responsibility. We have to say that wherever I end up, either surrender to the lordship of Christ and living in freedom, or in the snare of the devil, taken captive to do his will, it is because of willful choices that I have made. Secondly, we want to know Scripture. Right? In order to escape the snare of the devil, we must know what Scripture says. Right? We have to have a good working knowledge of what Scripture says, particularly relating to the areas where we are most tempted 
to be taken captive by the devil. We are most easily snared. Right? And this requires us to be students of the word. Then we want to believe scripture. Right? We must not only know what scripture says, we also has to be- have to believe what it says. Right? And that means we must believe that scripture is right. Whenever scripture says this is the right way to live or this is the right way to believe, what we must believe is yes, that is right. Right? We also must believe that Scripture is real. Right? Believing Scripture is real means that we don't see Scripture as the pie-in-the-sky ideal, but the reality of how a disciple of Jesus Christ can and should live. And then fourthly, repent when necessary. None of us are going to perfectly live out being surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. At times, we are all going to fall prey to our sinful nature and end up snared by the devil. When those times happen, What we must do is repent, turn to Jesus, turn from our sin, confess that, and then move on with our life. Because as we repent, he says, that's part of how we escape. So that leads us with our fourth and our final question. I don't know if you can see it or not. How do we help others escape the snare of the devil? How can we help others? If we are free of the devil's snare, if there are others around us that are not, what can we do? To be a part of helping them find freedom. Several actions I think this passage tells us that we must take. First, identify their condition. But before we can help anyone escape the snare of the devil, we have to recognize the fact that they are snared by the devil. They have been taken captive to do his will. Now this can and will be seen in a, in a variety of ways. Some that we mentioned in previous weeks were a lifestyle of sin blinded about spiritual truths, living under the weight of condemnation or uninvolved in in Jesus' church. Now, these are some of the ways that people are taken captive by the devil to do his will, but it's not the end-all, be-all. There are a large variety of ways. The unifying factor of all of the ways that people are taken captive by the devil, snared, is that it is going to be contrary to God's will. At any time someone believes something, Contrary to what is revealed in Scripture, they are snared by the devil. Right? Anytime someone does something that is contrary to what is revealed in Scripture, they are snared by the devil. Right? Anyone believing or living in ways contrary to Scripture is caught in the snare of the devil. Right? And we have to identify that. We have to understand that. Without identifying their spiritual condition, We will not be able to help them. I think there are two issues that make it difficult for us to identify this spiritual condition. But one is fear of being labeled as judgmental. Our culture has taken what Jesus said in Matthew 7 about not judging and made it the supreme scripture when relating to others. But the idea flowing from this is saying anything that anyone believes, says or does is wrong, that that is judgmental. But culturally speaking, the judge not verse in Matthew 7 is the most important verse in Scripture. It trumps all others. It is essentially the only one that matters. That is our culture trying to impose that upon us. But not only that, but judgmental Christians, or so-called judgmental Christians, have been blamed for everything that's wrong with the world today. But I mean, you look at... Any of the problems, right, particularly relating to the church, right, judgmental Christians are blamed from everything from the decline of the American church to global warming, 
Right? And it's just, that is the major fault with all things. If Christians weren't so judgmental, everybody would apparently believe in Jesus. That's if you believe what our culture has to tell us. Now, these two ideas have worked together to make believers fear being called judgmental. Right? We have become so afraid of being called judgmental that we are timid about standing where Scripture stands and saying what Scripture says. And yet that is what we must do. We must always stand where Scripture stands. We must always say what Scripture says. And regardless of what our culture or anybody we know may say, that is not being judgmental. Now, that doesn't mean you won't be called judgmental for saying what Scripture says or standing where Scripture stands. But it means we're not actually being judgmental. Fear of being labeled judgmental will prevent us from ever helping someone escape the snare of the devil. We cannot allow that. We cannot allow the fear of being labeled as judgmental to keep us from properly identifying someone's spiritual condition. Secondly, a personal connection. Something I've realized in my years of ministry is that the closer the personal connection, the harder it is to identify or accept a negative spiritual diagnosis of someone. Right, the very first time I noticed this was when I was a youth pastor in Fort Gibson. Uh, there was a, a lady in our church and her mother passed away. And I went to the funeral. Now, Kelly and I knew the lady who passed away. We knew one of her nephews. And we knew him out from outside the church. Kelly worked with his wife. And he was a, a self-professed atheist. So he went to this funeral of his aunt. The preacher that preached did a fantastic job. He preached a solid gospel message because the woman was a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ all the days of her life. When the service was over at probably, I think, church, the next time we had church, I met with, I was talking with the husband of the, the woman whose mother died. And I told him, I said, your nephew may be an atheist, but boy, he heard a, a solid gospel message at that funeral. And he stunned me by saying, well, he's not an atheist. And I said, well, he says he's an atheist. And he replied and he said, well, he may say that, but he's not. He was saved at vacation Bible school when he was nine. But to my friend's way of thinking, a profession of faith made at nine years of age that had zero impact on his life was more valid than a profession of atheism at 25 that guided pretty much every aspect of his life. Why? Well, because it was his nephew. And it was really hard to accept that his nephew really didn't believe in God and was lost. Now, my friend obviously isn't alone in this. Many people do what he did to some degree. It is hard to accept a negative spiritual diagnosis about someone we have a personal connection with. And the closer that connection is, the harder it is to accept a negative spiritual diagnosis. And while it is easier for us to deny their spiritual condition, it doesn't change what's really going on in their life. If someone is caught in the devil's snare and they have been taken captive to do his will, me saying they're not doesn't change what they are. All it does is leave them in the snare of the devil, captive to do his will, with at least one less person who could help them, that won't help them. 
We cannot let our personal connection to a person cause us to deny the reality of them being in the devil's snare, captive to do his will. Our denial of it does not change their condition. It merely prevents us from helping them escape. Regardless of our personal connection with them, we must accurately diagnose their spiritual condition if we are to be of any help to them at all. Secondly, refuse to argue. Notice Paul says in verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Right? We are to ignore or to avoid ignorant and foolish disputes that generate strife. Now with the world the way that it is, there are any number of innocent things that we could say to someone that could generate strife, right? I mean, that's just, particularly on social media, that's just the, the nature of the way the world works right now. There are also any number of important things that we could say, important stands that we could take that may generate strife. Now, the point that Paul's making is not that we should live in fear of generate strife or that we never say anything or do anything or ever take any stand because that may generate strife, right? That position of, I don't want to cause, a, I don't want to cause trouble and so I won't say anything, I won't do anything about anything, that doesn't help. All that does is leave us unable to, to help people escape the snare of the devil. The point that Paul is making is that we have to be sure that generating strife isn't the point of what we're doing. Right? That if I'm going to someone that's caught in the snare of the devil, that I'm not going there just to start an argument with them. Right? I'm not going there just to put them in their place, just to make them feel bad. If my motivation is to generate strife, to upset them, aggravate them, irritate them, then I need to just keep it to myself. Right? That's the point that Paul is making. If someone, I mean, just think about the reality. If you're caught in the devil's snare and someone comes to you and begins to talk to you about your relationship with Christ, what are the odds that's not going to generate a measure of strife as you don't appreciate their analysis of your life? It's pretty high, right? It would be for me. I'm just being honest. So it is with all of us. And so that's a a likely reality. But we have to make sure we go knowing that could be the case. But we go knowing that's not our motive. I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm not trying to start an argument. I'm not trying to get caught up in a quarrel. Instead, what I want to do is help them escape the snare of the devil. Right? And that's what we've got to check. What is my motive for doing what I'm doing and for saying what I'm saying? Now, another aspect of this is don't be drawn into an argument. Now, anytime we try to help someone escape the snare of the devil, there will be questions asked by the person we're trying to help. Some of these questions will be legitimate questions. Others will be questions with the sole purpose of drawing us into an endless debate that will generate strife and just be one long, drawn-out argument. So what we have to do is we have to do our best to answer the legitimate questions but not be drawn into the endless argument and the debates that, that could follow. And what this does is this requires us to have discernment. 
Right? Because what we have to do then is we have to discern, is this a legitimate question that they want an answer to? Or is this just a way that they can stir up an argument, that they're just going to cause things to get, maybe make me get mad? I mean, I mean, you know people like this, right? I'm not the only one that has friends and family like that, that the only thing they in life they want to do is to make you mad. They don't care if they win the argument. If you get mad and you act ugly, well, they win no matter what, right? I mean, that's kind of the way some people are. And we don't want to get drawn into that. If it's a, a question for the sake of an argument, well, you just kind of have to move on and go on. If it's a question that they have a legitimate concern about, well, then you do your best to answer it. Or you say, I don't know the answer to that. Let me go look it up and I'll, I'll get back with you. Right? So we have to answer the legitimate questions, but reject the ones that are just there to cause strife. Right? But we keep in mind that winning an argument isn't the goal. But the goal is to help them escape the snare of the devil. They have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. But we are able to help them find freedom through Christ. Winning the argument. Winning the argument won't set them free. Winning the argument is not a, a worthy goal for engaging someone that's caught in the snare of the devil. Putting someone in their place is not a worthy goal. For engaging someone that's caught in the snare of the devil. But helping someone free from Satan's snare so they're no longer captive to do his will. Now that is a worthy goal. So refuse to argue. Also, be gentle. Right? A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. So whatever we do, however we engage them, however we try to help them, we have to do it with gentleness and humility. The servant of the Lord must not be must be not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to in humility correcting those who are in opposition. Right. So both of those attitudes are important: gentleness and humility. Proverbs tells us that a gentle answer turns away wrath. Right? How many of you know that the way something is said is often as important as what is actually said? I've joked before that I had no idea about that until I was married and had three girls in my house. Right? I grew up in a house with mostly men. I joined the army and was in the infantry. And at that time, it was all men. I had never really been around a group of women until they were all in my house with me all of the time. And at that point, I learned that how I say something could be even more important than what I'm actually saying. But when we go to someone to be able to help them escape the snare of the devil, our tone matters. Right? We must go with gentleness and humility. Now, let me say that gentleness and humility, that's not the same as being wishy-washy. But if you've ever talked to someone and tried to help them come to know Christ as their Savior, they may well have asked you a question like, are you saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to help? And at this point, the temptation will be to say something like, well, I don't make those decisions. That's up to God. And that is a wishy-washy, mealy-mouthed answer. We can disguise it and say it's gentleness, but it's not. We can disguise it and say it's humility, but it's not. 
Gentleness and humility do not require us to minimize clear truths of Scripture. Rather, the humility and the gentleness, they characterize the way that we present these truths as we talk to people. Now, humility is a part of being gentle. We must be humble as we do this. And we ought to be humble because we know that at one point or another, we've all been the person caught in the snare of the devil. But at, at, at some point, we've all made sinful decisions. We all struggle with our sinful nature, and at some point, we have given in to that struggle. We have not put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have made provision for our flesh. And we have been taken captive. That's a humbling thought. Now, the fact that we have been taken captive at times, that we have sinned, it does not cause us to minimize anyone's sin. Right? I don't have to be perfect and lived in absolute perfection since I was five years old to go to someone and say, this is sin. This is wrong. Right? And the fact that I haven't lived in absolute perfection since I was five doesn't cause me to go to people and say, when they say, well, you've sinned to me, go, yeah, you're right. I guess we're both okay. Right? The fact that we have blown it does not minimize my sin and it doesn't minimize their sin. And it doesn't change my need for repentance when I blow it. And it doesn't change their need for repentance at the time where they are caught in Satan's snare. What it does, what it does, what it should do, is free me from pride and self-righteousness from my attitude as I go there. It frees me from going there thinking I'm better than them, smarter than them, I'm anything other than and just like they are, and there but by the grace of God go I. I mean, think about it. Where would you be if it weren't for Jesus? Where would you be if Jesus hadn't saved you? Where would you be if the Holy Spirit didn't guide you? What would your understanding of Scripture be if the Holy Spirit didn't illuminate you? Where would you be without God's faithfulness to keep you from being overcome by temptation. Without these things, without God's help, we would be in the exact same place as the person we're trying to help. In the snare of the devil, taken captive to do his will. An awareness of that keeps us gentle and it keeps us humble as we seek to help them escape the snare of the devil. We also share scripture. Paul also says they must be able to teach. And he says at the end of verse 25 that the goal is that they would know the truth. But now able to teach here is less about being able to stand up in front of a class and teach a lesson. And more about the ability to show from scripture why one belief or action is wrong and another belief or action is right. Right? The key to helping people escape the snare of the devil is to be able to show them truth from Scripture. Right? It is in seeing the truth, knowing the truth, that they come to their senses and they're able to escape the snare of the devil. But I must know the truth before I can share the truth with you. You must know the truth before you can share the truth with anyone else. 
Now, the last time we met, we did talk about being students of Scripture, so I won't cover that again. But I do want to give a couple of principles that will help us as we try to share Scripture. Right? First, avoid cliché answers. As we share Scripture to help people escape the snare of the devil, it's important that what we share is actually Scripture. Too often, what people share are spiritual-sounding cliches that are not actually Scripture. Let me give you just a few examples. God will never give you more than you can handle. That phrase is not actually found in Scripture. It's taken from 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. But it refers to temptations and not trials. It refers to being tempted to sin, not hardships or difficulties that come into our life. But I mean, think about, I guess the example, the classic example is Job. One day, he loses. All of his kids are killed in one day. He loses all of his wealth. In one day, I mean, in that one day, he loses everything, but apparently the house he's living in and his wife. A few days later, he loses his health. He's covered with painful running boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Who thinks that's not more than a human being can handle on their own? Of course, life gives us more than we can handle. Of course, there are things that come into our life that are more than we can handle. Because those things drive us to God. If I could do all things without God, what do I need Him for? So don't tell people. God will never give you more than you can handle. But telling this, telling people this doesn't help. And it often makes things worse. Because it's not truth. It's not scripture. Another cliche answer that's often given is everything happens for a reason. Right? And I don't believe Scripture teaches everything happens for a reason. Unless that reason is that we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world and bad things just happen. Now, Scripture does teach that God can work all things for our good and His glory. But that does not guarantee God is the one who sent it. And that does not guarantee that that is the reason it happened. What that says is, this trouble, this trial, this hardship, yes, it's bad, but God is greater still. And no matter how bad this situation is, He can turn it around and bring about our good and His glory from it. Scripture does teach that God uses hardship and trials to forge Christ-like character in it. And sometimes God does indeed send that stuff into our life for this very reason. But sometimes is not always. And I don't think you can say that God always sends this stuff into our life to forge Christ-like character in us. If so, then what you have is God ordaining the molestation of children, the rape of women, and any number of other horrific incidents, and saying, God orchestrated that for His glory and their good. I mean, that is a, a terrible position to be in. And if someone has gone through those sort of incidents, God orchestrating it for His glory 
is not a helpful thing. Because it is not true. Now scripture does teach that no matter how horrific something is, God is greater still. And he can work through that to bring about our good. He can work through that to bring about Christ-like character. But that does not make him the reason behind it. Telling someone everything happens for a reason does not help. Often makes it worse because it is not truth. It is not scripture. And then a final one, and this is just a personal pet peeve of mine. And this is if you're talking to someone who's trapped in a sin of some sort. This is kind of the the catch-all cliche that I use. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Right? This is sort of a cliche insult at the person trapped in sin. But it's not helpful. It does not help someone escape the snare of the devil. It is insulting, it is demeaning, and it is woefully inadequate as a way to try to help someone escape the snare of the devil. Far better to just talk about and say what Scripture says. Not catchy little cliches that demean or degrade someone. So avoid cliche answers, but also focus on the authority of Scripture. But when you're trying to help someone escape the snare of the devil, the most common phrase you should probably use is the Bible says. The person you're trying to help needs to know you're not sharing your ideas. The Bible says or Scripture says is the way to communicate this. I mentioned earlier people saying, are you saying, I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell. That question and others like it can be a trap if we aren't, if we aren't careful. Because the trap is in how we answer it. Because if they say, are you saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell? And we say yes. Then what we're doing is communicating to them. We are telling them our opinion. Yes, that's what I'm saying. But what I say, my opinion, really has little value. My opinion has little authority, little, little anything. What matters is what does the Bible say. So if they say, are you saying that if I don't believe in Jesus, I'm going to go to hell? Our answer should be, That's what the Bible says. Or that's what Scripture says. If we communicate to them that we are sharing our opinion, they will immediately dismiss us. I mean, don't you? I mean, if someone were to come to you and try to tell you what you believed about God, Scripture, salvation, heaven, hell, was wrong, and all they were doing was telling you, well, this is how I feel. This is what I I think. This is my opinion. Are you going to make any life-altering decisions based off another human being's opinions? I'm not. No matter who they are. But if they can show me I'm wrong from Scripture, that's a whole different ballgame. That changes everything. We don't want to give people a reason to dismiss what we're saying. Too much hangs in the balance. This is... This is eternity. This is heaven and hell. This, this matters. And so we need to be sure we're communicating to them that what we're saying, this is what Scripture says. We are saying what Scripture says about sin, 
about eternity, about salvation, about spiritual issues, about church, about heaven, about hell, about Jesus, about whatever. Don't accidentally communicate to them that you're giving your opinion because opinions are like armpits. Everybody has a couple and most of them stink. Instead, give them Scripture. Make it clear that you are communicating Scripture to them. And that keeps the focus on the authority of Scripture, not on your or my opinions. Be patient. Paul goes on to say that the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Right? We have to be patient. Few people make radical changes in their lives after one hearing. The longer a person is held to belief, the harder it will be for them to make a change. The longer a person has lived in a particular lifestyle, the harder it will be for them to make a change. The more ingrained a habit, a belief, or an action is in the life of a person, the longer it will take for them to change it. We must be willing to take the time and invest in them if we want to help. This requires patience. I mean... This requires us to go to them and talk to them over and over and over again. To possibly answer the same questions over and over and over again. To show them the same Bible verses over and over and over again. And I'm going to be honest, I kind of think that's largely a good idea, a good thing. Because if someone makes a change instantly, I mean, now granted, I know God can do anything and at times He does make instant changes in people's lives. So that can happen. But the reality is, how many instant changes are lasting changes? How many lasting changes happen just first time that someone hears it, first time you heard it? You just, boom, I believe it, my life is different because of it. I mean, how many of us Repented of our sins and believed in Jesus Christ and were saved the very first time we heard the gospel presented. Probably none of us. I joked before about how we were, how we were raised in church that if the preacher was going to change the light bulb, we filled our pew to watch. Uh, that was from, I don't remember a time in my life when we didn't go to church like that. I was 19, almost 20 when I was saved. I mean, that is... 19 years. And the Lord began to deal with me about my need for salvation when I was 10. That was the very first time I remember it. So for nine, almost 10 years, I resisted. I had questions. I had excuses. I had reasons. It took a lot of time for me to be saved. I'm glad the people in my life were patient and didn't give up after the first go-round. If we want to help people, Truly help them escape the snare of the devil. It takes time. And time requires patience. And then finally, pray. And while pray isn't explicitly mentioned, I think it should be included. Right? Because Paul says that God would grant them repentance, that they would know the truth and may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. It takes God... To really make this happen. Now granted you and I. We have a part to play. We are to go to them. To 
diagnose their condition. Right? To share Scripture with them. To do all of those things. We must do that. But in the end, if God does not empower our efforts, our efforts will be in vain. God does the heavy lifting, so to speak. Without God's help, it won't do any good to identify their spiritual condition. Without God's help, it won't accomplish anything for us to talk to them and refuse to argue. Without God's help, it won't accomplish anything if we're gentle or we're patient or we're humble or we share Scripture with Him. It takes God. And so we pray for them. Pray that God would grant them repentance. Pray that God would open their eyes to the truth. Pray that God would lead them toward the freedom that is found in Christ. Because it takes God to truly set someone free. Now helping others escape the snare of the devil. This is something all of us as believers in Jesus Christ are supposed to do. I mean if if you are a follower of Christ then you should be able to help others escape the snare of the devil. And what often happens is we say we can't. We say we're not able. And I believe this is what I've called low expectation Christianity. With low expectation Christianity, it's acceptable for someone to have been saved for many years and yet not be able to help someone with any of their spiritual needs. With low expectation Christianity, it's acceptable for someone to be saved many years and not know how to lead someone to Christ. With low expectation Christianity, it's acceptable for someone to have been saved for many years and not know how to help someone deepen their relationship with Christ. With low expectation Christianity, it's acceptable for someone to have been saved for years but not know how to study the Bible with someone. It's acceptable in low expectation Christianity for someone to have been saved for years and not know how to pray with someone. And it's acceptable for someone to have been saved for many years and not know how to escape the snare of the devil. Help someone escape the snare of the devil. And the reason this is so troubling so we don't accept this in any other area of life. I mean, Melissa, if you have a new teacher that hires in this week and you put them with a teacher that's been there for five years, are you going to expect that teacher to be able to help them get squared away and get things going? You're not going to accept, well, I just don't think I know enough to be able to, to do it. I just get too nervous talking to the other teachers. I mean, or, or Scott with the bank, you hire a new teller. Is a teller that's been there going to be expected to be able to help them? Or, or a hobby? I mean, if you want to learn how to shoot, someone that you would expect that someone that has shot, been a marksman for years, would be able to help you to know how to shoot. If you take up gardening, you would expect that someone that has gardened for years would know how to help you garden. The only area of life we accept this is Christianity. Every other area of life, it is expected that if you have done this for years, you are able to help others to do it as well. We must, we must reject that. 
I mean, I think you can say for certain Jesus expects all of those who have called him Lord to be able to help others escape the snare of the devil. This isn't for the elite. This isn't for pastors and missionaries and deacons. This is rank and file believer in Jesus Christ should be able to do the things we've talked about tonight. Let us choose to reject low expectation Christianity and give ourselves to doing whatever it takes to help others escape the snare of the devil. Let's take time. We're going to take prayer requests.